Amen. Hey, we are once again in our exciting topic, World Religions, Cults, and the Occult, and it's number eight, a brand new number. Pause to reflect. Okay, that's enough. And it's the topic of Mormonism, right? It's what we're going to talk about there. And believe it or not, uh, Tom, once again, Pastor Tom has the faith of a warrior because we're going to get into some of the workbook, keywords, some. And uh, but let's go ahead and let's get going because I got a goal in mind and I'm hoping to get there. All right, let's take a look. Mormonism, let's take a look. Review. Remember, the standard evangelical definition of a Christian cult is any group. How many groups? Any group, any group, any person, anyone that what? That deviates from biblical Christianity in the fundamental doctrines of the faith. How? Here's the categories we saw last time with Roman Catholicism over and over again. The source of authority, the nature of God, including obviously the Trinity, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, the means of salvation. You get that wrong, guess what? You're a cult. You may not like it, it may sting, but guess what? It's a cult, and that's what we're going to see. In many cases, cults use the same words, right, as true Christians, but what do they do? They radically redefine them. Redefine is your first blank there, right? And we certainly saw that last time, and boy, are we really going to see it this time, and Lord willing, on into Jehovah's Witnesses and et cetera, et cetera. They radically redefine our terminology, and they bait you in, and you have to get beyond the veneer, right? Well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but your Jesus ain't the same. Well, we believe in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but your version of the Holy Spirit is not the same. Well, we believe in God the Father. Your God the Father is really not the same. Right? you got to get behind the veneer, especially when you're dealing with Mormonism. Now, let's take a look at a little bit of their history. Mormonism, it says there, officially called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or LDS. Uh, me, personally, LDS uh, should be an acronym for Leave, Don't Stop. Okay? <laughs> Just go. You get away, because man, I'm telling you, I couldn't wait to get into this. Because you know, how many guys were here when we saw the video last week? Was that like a bombshell? It's like, whoa, right? And we're going to go into all that stuff and much, much more as we're going to dissect it. But I'm telling you, this stuff is so far off base. Most Christians have no. You kind of know, yeah, it's kind of not right, but it's really not right. It's it's just Lee, don't stop, right? <laughs> it is not good. And it was founded by this guy who, Joseph Smith. Right? In the early 1800s, he was born in 1805 in Vermont. His father was a what? Treasure hunter and a what? Money counterfeiter. Hmm, interesting. See, when you understand the roots of Joseph Smith, his background, okay, it begins to explain even to this day. What's one of the big things that Mormons are concerned with? Money. It's like the old saint, like father, like son. Joseph Smith, money grubbing, grave, uh, gold digger, wanted cash and we're going to get into that in great detail lord willing and uh, so was his dad guess what that's what the organization's all about remember we saw you can't even get into and i'm getting way ahead of myself but just to, by way of nature uh, you can't even get into the mormon temple priesthood unless you get somebody to recommend and number two you have to pay up on your tithe their version of a tithe is 30 percent. in fact they will actually pull your w-2s to make sure you did you still ain't getting in until you pay up that's an organization just like the heart of the founder, just like his own father. Money. And it still carries on uh, to this day. But also, he grew up poorly educated and superstitious. Okay? In fact, if you want to just deal with the fact he was superstitious, call it what you want. But we're going to see if we can get that far, even a little teaser in the occult. In fact, we're probably going to have just one whole study on him and his occult ties. Joseph Smith, okay, superstitious, uh, is basically a mild term, all right? At age 11, his family moved to Palmyra, New York. What's interesting is, uh, before I pastored here, I pastored in New York, western New York. I lived in a town called Lockport, where the Erie Canal was, and I crossed over that for the first time, and you know what? It was Erie. But it, it, literally, it was called the Erie Canal Jam. But anyway, so... <laughs> But anyway, I that was about an hour and a half, Palmyra, where all this is supposed to have gone down. It was about an hour and a half from where I uh, used to live. And of course, uh, Jess, you know that area too, and Kim. But anyway, so uh, that's where supposedly his family did move there. But in 1820, when Smith was 15, okay, there was much interest in religion, right? Religion in that area, Palmyra, New York. And Smith was uh, torn as to what denomination he should join. Okay, now after reading James 1, 5, uh-oh, okay, uh, in fact, let's go ahead and turn to that, because I, I want you to get it into your mind, because this is something they carry on today, this is a major 
thing that the Mormons do to this day, and it's all a perversion of this text. So open your Bibles to James 1.5. James, if you're hooked on French, how would you pronounce that? Jamais. Yeah, whatever. Uh, James, let's take a look there. James, uh, you find Hebrews, what do you do? Hang right. James 1, but we're going to read the context because that's what you're supposed to do. And we're going to start with verse 1. Okay, verse 1, James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, to who? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to the Jewish Christians, okay, primarily with this book. Uh, number 2, he says, greetings. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when your life always turns out great. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Uh, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So what's the theme before we get to verse 5? Trials, right? You're going through hard times. Keep that in mind. So when you face trials of many kinds, because why? You know that the what? Testing of your faith, that develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. Again, you're in hard times, but God's bearing fruit in your hard times. That's the whole theme here, right? Perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete and not lacking anything. But, okay, let's say you're in a hard time, and if any of you, what, lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, okay, and it will be given to him. So that's the context. Before you get to verse 5, you're talking about hard times, you're talking about going through difficult times, and God's going to do a great work even in your hard times because he's going to develop character and perseverance. You're still going to come out on top, but if you're going through a hard time and you need some advice, where do you go? Advice for the hard time. Where do you go? You go to God, and he's going to give it to you, right? So that's the whole context. Well, that's not what he does, and they still do this today. Let's continue on. James 1.5, and uh, he supposedly read that, and he prayed about which church he should join, and was supposedly visited by God the Father and God the Son. Well, that's the latest version. There's a whole bunch of versions. We'll get to that in just a second. But wait a second. So is that what that text says? That when you want to find out what's true, you pray? Is that what that verse 5 was? No. If you're going through a hard time and you need some advice, you go to God, he'll give it to you. It's not to discern whether something's true or not. So he ripped this verse, if it even really happened, because we're going to see this guy's a con artist. If it really even happened, he ripped it completely out of context, okay? So he prayed, supposedly God the Father and the Son showed up. Oh, and by the way, in that text, God says, when you pray for wisdom, uh, did he say he was going to show up? Or he and the Son was going to show up? No, he says, I'm going to give you wisdom. He didn't say he's going to show up. So the whole thing's messed up. Completely out of context, but I digress. But I bring this up because this is what they still do today as an acid test as to why you should listen to them and not the Bible. Okay, uh, He was told supposedly by Jesus that he should join none of them, the denominations, for they were all wrong and that all the Christian church doctrines were an abomination. And as you can see there, that's what Joseph Smith uh, mentioned there. But of course, guess who gets to set it right? That's right, Mr. Joe. Uh, Joe gets to set it right there, okay? He's the chosen one, apparently. All right, but let's take a look at that. Okay, James, of course, again, he rips it out of context. The whole context is not asking to discern whether or not uh, uh, something is true. Uh, the whole context is you need some advice when you're going through uh, some hard times, okay? Yet, this is what they do with the Book of Mormon. When you go and you try to witness to a Mormon, or they're, quote, trying to witness to you, typically they desperately want to get into your hands a copy of the Book of Mormon. Right? And here's their acid test. What they do is they instruct us what you need to do, and this is their perversion of James 1.5. They say, well, what you need to do is you need to pray. Right? And if you get this burning in your bosom right, that verifies that the Book of Mormon is true, Joseph Smith was a true prophet, etc., blah, 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 then that's your acid test as to why you need to listen to us. That's it. It's all a perversion of James 1.5. Right? And the old burning of the bosom, that's the old King James word, right? And uh, I, 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 my thing is, that, listen, you could eat a piece of chicken, you'll get a burning in your bosom every single time. I don't recommend it, right? But you don't discern truth from a feeling. That's the whole, I share this from the very get-go. Their whole belief, the acid test for their source of truth is on a burning in the bosom, i.e. an emotion. Is that how we discern truth? Absolutely not. That's one of the most dangerous things. We dealt with that how many times in New Age, and, and we haven't even got there yet, but we've talked about with the charismatic uh, uh, philosophy and that, you know, God told me you're this, or I had this feeling that, and that's dangerous. That's where whoop, you get out of the scripture. Their whole premise of why they're true and they supposedly have a better gospel than us is based on that falsehood, right? 
all from a perversion of that. And it's hard to uh, reach them because it's emotional. It's the same thing like with the charismatic. Uh, you Don't tell me that wasn't from God. I know that was an angel from God because I cried alligator tears and I cried so... <laughs> I don't care. If it contradicts the scripture, that's not from God. And it's the same thing here. It's hard to reach these people. Oh, no, I don't care. No, no, I, no, I had this burning in the bosom. I had this... No. And it's not even a true uh, context of James 1.5. So it's like a double wrong. Uh, obviously, this uh, method of interpreting something is true is obviously dangerous. That's not what the Scripture says. The Bible says that you determine truth by examining the Scripture. Right? All Scripture, what's the Scripture say? Is what? Is from God, inspired from God. It's, and uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, we know that. Uh, also, the Scripture says you need to... Be a Berean, not get a burning in the bosom. And if you're going to be a Berean, and of course, Acts 17 is your context there. Even It says there, even the Bereans, even when Paul came and gave them the truth. I'm not taking your word for it, in essence. I'm going back to the, uh, I'm going to KFC and getting a burning in the bosom. No, I'm going to the word of God. So the Bible says you go back, you want to discern something's true, where do you go? You go back to the word of God. Okay, Mormons go against the scripture and trusting something unverifiable, i.e. their subjective feelings. I wasn't there, you know, whatever, but nobody determines truth, right? In fact, play that in any arena of life. I don't have much time to get into this. How, how many of you guys would like to try that next time you get pulled over by a cop, right? You say, hey, officer, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but listen, you're wrong and I'm right. I have the truth on my side. Because I had this burning in the bosom when I was driving through that light that I was supposed to... Is, he gonna fly, is that going to work? No, you're going to have a badge and a bunch of tickets is what you're going to get. It's, it's crazy, right? But that's the whole crux of what they do. Let's continue on back in the workbook. Now, the first supposed vision... Right? So the whole thing is based on relativism, emotional feelings, not truth. It's a faulty method. That's the core. Right? But it gets even worse. The first vision was supposedly followed by several visits from an angel named what? Moroni, however you want to say that there. In 1827, uh, uh, Moroni supposedly allowed Smith to retrieve a set of golden plates. Notice what kind of plates? Not platinum, not plastic. They didn't have plastic back then. That's right, whoever said that. Uh, not wooden, right? Not porcelain. Gold. Why is it gold? What's his background? What's his dad's background? Golden plates, right? Uh, and we'll get to, oh, man, I'm getting way ahead of myself. There's just so much here. But anyway, uh, he's got these supposed golden plates, and it, at which had been buried in a hill near Smith's home, supposedly, in Palmyra, New York. Right? Now, between 1827 and 1830, Smith, with the help of friends, translated these golden plates into the Leave, Don't Stop Scripture, or LDS, the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Book of Mormon was published in 1830, became the first of many scriptures of the Mormon church all right then he organized the church uh, supposedly officially on april 6 1830 with six original members and over the next 10 years the church headquarters moved around started in uh kirtland ohio independence missouri far west missouri finally landing in nauvoo illinois between 1839 and 1844 and in nauvoo smith was jailed for encouraging the destruction of a local newspaper and was eventually murdered by a mob. Now, underline that word mob. I'm going to give you a little teaser. We're going to go into this great historical detail later. Do you know who the mob was that killed him? Mostly Mormons. Ah, they don't tell you that when you come knocking at the door, right? But we'll get into that uh, much later. And he certainly didn't die as a martyr. When you got a gun and you're shooting back, you ain't a martyr. We'll get to that, Lord willing. Uh, eventually, right? So that's what he's, uh, he uh, was in the mob of the cartilage. He was murdered uh, in Carthage, Illinois, June 27, 1844. After Smith's murder, several LDS leaders stepped forward to take control of the church. There was two splits we'll get into later. They only mentioned the one here. Uh, the majority of the Mormons followed Brigham Young out to Salt Lake Valley, okay? But there was another one, a reformed one, that I think went to Missouri, okay? And, but we'll get into that again later. Uh, but let's get into a little bit more of this uh, uh, detail of the background. How did all this start, and is it really reliable, right? And let's go beyond the burning of the bosom, and let's start to investigate the facts, right? Joseph Smith, obviously, Jr., right? We saw his dad, his background. Uh, Joseph Smith, Jr. was born December 23, 1805 in Vermont. 
He was the fourth child of Lucy and Joseph Smith. Joseph Sr., again, was known as a money digger, and he sought after buried treasure. His dad, and like father, like son, he sought specifically after buried treasure in that area because uh, uh, of the treasure of supposedly Captain Kidd. Okay? And that was big on the East Coast. In fact, not too far, if you keep going towards the East Coast, you end up towards a place called Oak Island. I mean, you guys have seen that show on History Channel. Oak Island, they're digging in the money pit and all that stuff. Well, one of the many theories is that's where the treasure of Captain Kidd is buried in Oak Island, right? And, but there was a, that during that time, that's what people were doing. So that's his dad, that's his background, and his son was doing, Joe Jr., uh, the same thing. Uh, also, his mother, again, was highly superstitious. Again, and again, you might as well just say witchcraft, occult, and we'll get to that uh, eventually. But Joseph Smith Jr. stated that he was disturbed by all the different denominations, and again, he wondered which one was true. So in 1820, when he was 14, supposedly, uh, he went into the woods to pray concerning this. And allegedly, God the Father and Jesus appeared to him and told him not to join any of those churches. Again, we just saw that. But let's examine that, because there's some serious problems. And one of the things you're going to see is this guy from the get-go and still to this day is not all about money, 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 money. But with all due respect, I don't know how you're going to get around this, but guess what? This guy is a liar. I, I'm just, I don't know how to get around it. This guy is a bold-faced liar. He made this whole thing up. Let me give you some examples. And this is, again, this is from the get-go. The whole thing's based on a lie, anyway, from feelings, burning the bosom, ripping out of context James 1.5, making it sound spiritual. So the whole thing's baloney uh, to try to verify it but number two this is where it all supposedly starts he has this vision the problem is which version of the vision this guy's a liar let me give you and this is historical record right and this is also what they cover up let me give you an example joseph smith did not relate his story consistently but he changed key elements again and again and again he did it three different ways it isn't just he changed one thing he changed multiple things multiple times. Let me give you an example. He changed the date and his age. When was this vision? Remember, this is what, hold the whole, here's how it all started. This, right. He changed uh, it from uh, his age, from 1823 to age of 16. Then there's another version. So, no, 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 it was uh, 1821, he was 15. And then, no, 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 it was 1821, he was 14. Which one? And these are all verifiable documents. Would you like to have that guy at a witness at a trial that you're trying to decipher what really happened in a certain time? No, right? He'd be ejected from the jury. But that's just one thing. He also changed the reason or the motive why he was out there supposedly getting a vision in the first place. Let me give you a couple of those. Uh, first of all, he, uh, one account says he had no motive. He was just a spirit showed up and said, hey, here's some gold plates. That was one. Number two, he was out there reading the Bible. Uh, number three, uh, he, was, he was feeling really convicted of his sins. And then all of a sudden a vision appeared. Or also, there was a revival going on. Or he was out there because of a desire to know if God exists. Well, which one is it? And again, this is all, what? can you get it right? And again, we're going to see, this is supposed to be, they say the Book of Mormon is the most accurate book ever and the most important book that you could ever read than any book on the planet. Which version, Joe? I'm still not done. Also, who appears to him? Right? Uh, one time it was just a spirit. Uh, another time it was an angel. Another time he writes, it's two angels. Another time it was just Jesus. Another time it was many angels. And of course, the latest one, the Father and the Son. That sounds better, doesn't it? Took you 503 times, but you got it right. Right? So what? And again, it wasn't just one thing. He changed the date. He changed the age. He changed the reason. Changed the motive. He changed who appeared to him. The whole thing, I'm sorry, guys, you're a liar. And what they do is they cover up. It's what happens when, unfortunately, people lie. You tell a lie, then you got to make another lie to cover up that lie and this lie and this lie. But guess what? You wrote this stuff down. And some of us can still get our hands on it. And this is at the core. This is at the inception. It is built on a lie. Quote, there's a noticeable shift in the context of finding the gold plates from a 17-year-old money digger to a supposed 14-year-old spiritual seeker. Joseph Smith omitted uncomfortable but true parts of his history replaced them with fictitious elements. What's that mean? He made it up. The story, right? In order to make his story more socially acceptable and spiritually compelling. One thing is clear, quote, the LDS church deliberately misleads people to offer this account. And the latest account, of course, is, no, it was 
Jesus and God and the Father. Right? And, uh, the, and that's now the canonized part of the LDS scripture. And they say that this is an absolutely, quote, unquestionably accurate and honest portrayal of historical origins. Which one? Which one? The whole thing is baloney. So that's the core. The very core of the whole premise. How are we supposed to know if this is true? I got a burning in my bosom. You got, you got, the whole thing starts with this vision. Which version, Joe? You got multiple visions and multiple angles. You still get what? And it gets even worse. Now, three years later, when he's 17 years old, uh, this is when he has this encounter with this angel Moroni, who was supposed to be the son of Mormon. Okay, we'll get to what that word means in a little bit. Mormon. But wait a second. An angel called Moroni, who was supposed to be the son of a, of a guy, another guy named Mormon. Uh, can a person, even if this were actual entities, and it's not, uh, as he's saying anyway, uh, can a person, when, when a person dies, do they become an angel? No, now that's Hollywood, but that's not Bible. Angels, when you die, when we die, you go straight into heaven through Jesus Christ. You reject him, you go straight into hell, right? But we are eternal, and we will still have eternal bodies that will in hell be tormented, but eternal bliss in heaven, right? We get uh, spiritual bodies, resurrected bodies, right? But it's still, you have a, a body, right? You don't turn into an angel, right? What's that movie every time at Christmas they play? Every time the bell rings, an angel gets us and <laughs> makes you cry, but it's bad Bible. <laughs> All right? They show these babies floating around, boo, 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 you know, pudgy looking kids. Don't turn it. Babies, what? Listen, people never become angels. Angels are angelos messengers. They're specially created beings from God. One third of them rebelled with another cherubim angel, Satan, who became Lucifer, the devil, right? Okay? Not the same thing as mankind. So, again, right here, what's his whole premise? He has this supposed encounter with an angel named. Moroni, but he was supposed to be the son of. I think you're starting to make this up. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to be kidding me, right? Anyway, so he, he supposedly gets this uh, Moroni encounter with this supposed father of this thing um, named Mormon. Anyway, and uh, he was uh, Mormon. The father of this Moroni, who's angel's son thing, whatever. Uh, Mormon was the leader of a people supposedly called the Nephites, who had lived in the Americas, in case you're wondering. And it appeared to him and told him, Joseph Smith, that he had been chosen to translate the Book of Mormon, this Moroni's father's book, okay, which was compiled by, again, Moroni's father, somewhere around in the 4th century. All right? The book was written on, of course, golden plates near where Joseph uh, was then living in Palmyra, New York. Joseph Smith said that on September 22nd, 1827, he received the plates and the angel Moroni instructed him to begin the translation process. Now, the translation process uh, uh, was finally published in 1830 as the Book of Mormon. And Joseph claimed that during the translation process, John the Baptist, because you got to throw him in there. That sounds really good, too. I mean, if you're going to pop in, you know, God and the Father and the Son, and, and you know, you got, you got to do something to turn around because you messed it up with the angel thing, right? And so, hey, throw in John the Baptist, man. That'll, that'll throw him off, right? But anyway, supposedly John the Baptist appeared to him, Joseph Smith, and, uh, oh, wait a second. Does the Bible say that John the Baptist comes back or anything? No. Where's John the Baptist? And when you die, are you coming back? No. How many guys glad when you get to heaven you ain't coming back? Right? We come back at the second coming with Jesus, but we don't come back before that stuff. Right? John the Baptist, come on, give me a break. So, so that's wrong too. Right? But he said, John the Baptist appeared to him, ordained him to accomplish the divine work of restoring the true church. And guess who got chosen? Good old Joe. Joseph Smith, right? And he was now going to be preaching, quote, the true gospel, which had allegedly been lost from the earth. So everybody's been doomed up to this point. Somehow, it landed over in America. <laughs> it just isn't crazy. Anyway, so, <laughs> okay, so if the original document, this so-called Book of Mormon, okay, uh, is so accurate, so true, and it's the true gospel, better than what we got uh, in our Bible, okay, then how come it's not even consistent? In fact, how come it's not even not consistent, but it doesn't even agree with the other works that you say are your scriptures? I'm getting ahead of myself because we're going to have, we'll get into deeply into their false teachings. But let me give you an idea of just how messed up it is. 
Now we're into the writings, right? The Book of Mormon and other books that they have, right? They don't even agree with each other, right? For instance, let me give you an example. The Book of Mormon says there's only one God, but other Mormon books say that there's many gods. Uh, the Book of Mormon says the Trinity is one God, but then other books say that there's three separate gods. The Book of Mormon says God is unchanging, uh, but then uh, other books say he's increasing in knowledge. Well, that's an oxymoron right there. Uh, actually, that's a, 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 a fallacy. God, by definition, is the supreme being. And in order to be God, i.e. a supreme being, you have to be everywhere present, all-powerful, all-knowing. So how could you be God if you're still learning? It's a logical fallacy. It's crazy. Uh, the uh, Book of Mormon says he's, uh, God is a spirit. Uh, other Mormon doctrines says, no, he, took on the form, he has the form of a man. Book of Mormon says there's an eternal hell. The other writings that they have say hell is not eternal. Uh, Book of Mormon says polygamy is condemned. Other writings say, no, it's taught and it is practiced. Now, that's no uh, shakes of saying that the Book of Mormon is great and accurate. It's not. It's got its own problems. I just bring out just a couple of teasers that these things don't even agree with each other. And see, that's what makes our Bible, the one and only Word of God, so absolutely wild and unique. This is 66 books all put together, never once contradicts itself, all has a central theme from beginning to end, okay, pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Old Testament, New Testament, right? And they build upon one another, right? Written, you know, by over 40-some different authors over like 15, 1,600 years, three different languages, different continents, different moods, different people who didn't even know each other, and it never once contradicts itself. Now, that's got the stamp of God's authority on it. Not this, and we're just getting cracking, folks. I mean, this is just, you, you, your books are so far, you, you, each book is messed up. But the books themselves don't even agree. The whole thing's all messed up. Why? Because this guy told a big old story. That's all it is. The guy's a liar. He's a con artist. His dad was, he was, with all due respect, like father, like son, and they're trying their best to cover it up. In fact, there's been like, I think, 40,000 different textual changes uh, in their writings, and uh, if anything, we're helping them to clean up their inconsistencies. But it's still bad, still wrong, what have you. The founder of Mormonism said the Book of Mormon was the most correct book of any book, including the Bible, and uh, that man could get closer to God by following it than any other book. Yet, essential Mormon doctrines aren't even found in it. Why? This is because the Book of Mormon is nothing more than, quote, a fictional account made up by Joseph Smith. It's not my words, it's theirs. It wasn't until after the book had been printed that additional heretical doctrines uh, were later also developed. Now, notice this, additional. The Book of Mormon's got its own problems. We'll get to that again later. Okay, But it's not consistent uh, through and through. And this is why sometimes Christians, if they're kind of not really well discipled, not saying they're not saved, but they really don't know the Bible, nobody's ever taken the time to disciple them, when they get a copy of just start, they start, always start with the, the Book of Mormon, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's bad. It's got its own heresies, okay? But that's why some people go, well, it it's sort of kind of sounds sort of Christian. No, it's all messed up. It's just maybe not quite as messed up as the rest, but it's still messed up. But it's almost like a little bait thing just to get you pulled in, and then it gets worse as you go, okay? Again, don't misunderstand me. I'm not giving any credence at all to the Book of Mormon. It is heresy uh, through and through, but that's just part of the bait that goes on. Now, uh, it's so fictional, the Book of Mormon, let me give you, start to give you some examples. Uh, it doesn't even fit historical record, right? It literally is a story. This guy literally, if anything, you can give him kudos for, fantastic imagination. Fantastic storyteller. This guy could whoop it up, and he did, and he created a religion out of it. Okay, let's look at that. Uh, the Book of Mormon is supposed to be the accounts of people who came from the Middle East to the Americas, believe it or not. And it covers a period of about 600 B.C. to 400 A.D. Now, it tells the story of different types of people, which we find zero evidence of. Uh, it tells of the Jaredites. And these are supposed to be people from the Tower of Babel who came to Central America, but they perished because of their own immortality. Then it describes that, believe it or not, some Jews who fled persecution in Jerusalem, and came to America led by a man named Nephi. The Jews divided into two groups, Nephites and Lamanites, okay, who fought each other, and the Nephites were defeated, supposedly, in A.D. 428. 
right? The Lamanites, they continued and are known today as the American Indians. Huh? You want to know the history of the... Yeah, that's bankrupt. We'll get to that in just a second. But th this is what you get in this book. The guy made up a great story. Sad. Very sad. The Book of Mormon is the account of the Nephite leader, Mormon. Remember, Moroni's dad, supposedly, angel guy, buddy thing. Uh, concerning their culture, civilization, and even the appearance of Jesus to the Americas. Well, wait a second. How many comings does Jesus have? The Bible talks about two. Without you, now you're into another one. And so that's off uh, in itself, okay? Now, let's get into, all right, so what's the historical record? What's really going on there? This guy is obviously, I'm, tell, I'm sorry, he's a liar. He's making up a story. This guy can spin a tale, right? But you notice he comes up with this, hey, is your family like mine? Do you guys have your own language? We call it cronies, right? Mike, you know this. You're related to us, right? But we got our own terms for stuff you just make up stuff and that's just how you communicate it's kind of a fun thing whatever i i almost like it's like this is what this guy's doing he's just making up stuff he's just right and his own family he's gonna start a new family and he's just he's gonna he's just gonna pick a word i wish i call this new family right oh i oh 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 i'm gonna call us mormons Mormon. what is that well let's discover what that really is this is wild now, the official story, supposedly, from Joseph Smith, is here what Mormon, of all words that he grabbed out of the air and telling his story, Mormon, here's what he picked, right? Uh, this is from 1843. This, he wrote this in Times and Seasons, so it's in print, when he was in Nauvoo, Illinois. And this is a Mormon publication. Here's what he says. Here's how he says he arrived at this family name, Mormon, right? He says, and I quote, the characters are from Reformed Egyptian, not Egyptian. This is reformed. Doesn't that sound spiritual? Reformed Egyptian. In the Americas, by the way. Uh, reformed Egyptian. And was, listen, being handed down and altered by us. And he says, why? Because, because none other people, I'm quoting, for none other people knoweth our language. Because right? therefore, the Lord and not man had to interpret after the people were all dead. I may safely say uh, that the word Mormon, it comes from the Reformed Egyptian word, Mon. That that was Jamaican. Hey, Mon. No, but it's, apparently it's, it's you got Thank you, Mark. Thank you. I was hoping somebody would get that. But apparently I was wrong all these years. That's Reformed Egyptian. Reformed Egyptian. And with the addition of the word more, because that's just Mon. Mon, more Mon, is Reformed Egyptian. This guy is telling this story. You're making it up, dude. Anyway, and, and then he adds more. And so what he says is you put those two together, and it means more good. Because that's actually what they say today. They say Mormon. It's like, Mormon, where did you get that one? It means more good. Yeah, we're more gooder than you. Or we'll talk about your grammar in a second. But <laughs> it's just like, what? More good. Uh, plus, by the way, even in your own edition, you got it backwards. Last time I checked, in your word Mormon, Mon doesn't come first, Mon comes second, but whatever. Oh, also, he doesn't explain how in the world an English word more came to be combined with a supposed Reformed Egyptian word. But this is in print. This is his, the, what they, oh, oh no, Mormon means, it means more good, more good. Let me read to you what it really means, right? Mormon actually comes from a word uh, in language, normal language, okay, mormo, with a variant, mormon, okay? Now, let me do the, this is in 1738, and this is in the Oxford English Dictionary at that time. And you can get a copy, you even got a photocopy of the page from the 1738 Dictionary, right? And it says there, mormo, Okay, which again, uh, from the, uh, is an alternate spelling from the Greek word mormon, exactly spelled the same way, M-O-R-M-O-N, okay, is, refers to a, quote, hideous she-monster, <laughs> a hobgoblin or bugbear. It was their ver version of the boogeyman back then. <laughs> 
The lexicon of the ancient Greek language shows that an alternative spelling of Mormo is Mormon and defines the word as, quote, a frightening female monster which was used to frighten little children. <laughs> all right, what am I going to make? All right, what, what am I going to Oh, no! Oh, yeah, I'll get back at my mom. She always used to try to scare me. Don't let Mormo get you. <laughs> We're Mormons. He used a name that described basically the boogeyman. But I guess boogeyman Mon probably didn't have the same ring to it. But it's crazy. But listen, Mormo and Mormon, okay, also was used with an exclamation to frighten children. Boo. B-O-H. Boo. And we still have that tradition today. So basically, listen to this. Uh, the Greek mythology, check this out. Uh, this was actually an entity in Greek mythology is where you get this whole premise from. Right? Mormo was a goddess who bit bad children and said to have uh, been a consort of the Greek goddess of fertility, uh, fertility who later became associated with Persephone as goddess of the underworld and protector of the witches. Why is that important? Because what's this guy going to get involved in? As we're going to see, witchcraft and the occult. So for all names for you to pull out a hat to describe your new family name, you use this one, okay? The name was also used to signify a female vampire-like creature in stories told to Greek children by their nurses to keep them from misbehaving, right? So the next time, parents, you want to keep your kids in line, all you got to say is, Mormon! <laughs> and believe it or not, that's what they did back in the day, to scare kids. It was the boogeyman. He picked the boogeyman for their name. Can you believe this? You can't make this stuff up. Uh, well, excuse me, he did. Okay, absolutely. Oh, and by the way, we saw this on the video, and I wanted to verify it myself. Uh, oriental language. Mo equals devil. Mun equals gate, door, entrance, or opening. So in the Cantonese Chinese, Mormon sounds like the words devil's gate. So guess what they don't use when they try to witness to the Orientals? They don't use their family name. Hi, would you like to join the devil's gate? Hi, what's your name? Hey, we're part of devil's gate. Come on in. Yeah, you don't get many converts, do you? Right? And that's why you don't use the name, which, oh, by the way, is trickery. Right? If you're so proud of your name that you pulled out of the air, why can't you be consistent about it? Right? Let's move on. Now, that's just the name. Let's go back. Remember, this whole thing's supposed to be happening here in the Americas over this big, massive centuries wide and all these uh, people and the, the battles and all this stuff. And man, you would think we'd find something. Rhymes with zero. Let me break it down for you. Metallurgy. The Book of Mormon describes various usages of iron, steel, brass, and various metals in America before the birth of Jesus Christ. The problem is that archaeology has shown that metallurgy did not appear in the Americans until the 9th century A.D. So you got that wrong. Weapons of war. The Book of Mormon describes the presence of chariots and other various weaponry that's supposed to have been used uh, in the New World according to their dates. The problem is archaeologists have found neither the evidence of chariots or any weapons mentioned in the Book of Mormon at this time. The major battles. Remember, there's a major battle with the Nephites and the Lamanites, right? And uh, the one got decimated. Uh, the Hill of Cumorah in New York described this two major wars involving, listen, the death of millions of people. However, no remains of people or even weapons of these wars have ever been found there. Not 10 people, millions. Zero. Guy made it up. Crops and agriculture. The Book of Mormon describes various agriculture of the Americas as being similar to that found in biblical times in the Middle East. The problem is archaeology has shown the Americas did not grow any of those kind of crops at that time. And what crops they did grow were not mentioned in the Book of Mormon. So you got it wrong, wrong both ways. Uh, the use of linen and silk. The Book of Mormon describes the use of linen and silk in the New World at that time, but neither silk nor linen items have ever been found during that time frame. Animals. The Book of Mormon describes various animals, supposedly, in Americas at that time, donkey, cattle, oxen, elephants living in the Americas. Guess what? Of course, we can't find any at that time that they said. And what's this whole thing? We might go into this deeper, but let me give you a little teaser. What's this whole thing about your supposed ancestors, your big proof text, other than, oh, my chest, got a burning in the bosom. Um, and then which version did Joe get? What? Huh? Okay. He is, well, here it is, the American Indians. That's our lineage. Well, we got this little thing out that's very exacting today. It rhymes with DNA. 
And people put this to the test, and here's what they found. The Book of Mormon actually says Native American population descendants are the ancestors of the Mormons, specifically the one tribe, supposedly the Lamanites, right? And uh, who supposedly originated from ancient Israel, remember Jews supposedly escaping persecution, around 2,600 years ago. The problem is DNA samples have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can't get around this, that Native American peoples are descendants from the Siberian and Asian ancestors not made up Mormon tribes, period, okay? Furthermore, there's zero archaeological evidence for either the mythical Mormon tribe called the Nephites, who, by the way, were supposed to be, listen, you see this in their writings all the time, white and exceedingly fair people. Wait a second, if I don't know, that sure sounds awfully racist to me. Well, let's just start to add that to the list. The guy was not only a muddy grumman, uh, a, a liar, involved in the cult, and boy, could he tell a story. But you know what? This guy was about as racist as you can get. And I'm going to expose that a little bit, hopefully, uh, quickly uh, tonight. Let's take a look at that. The Book of Mormon describes a series of conflicts between the light-skinned Nephites and the dark-skinned Lamanites. The Book of Mormon says that God inflicts a curse of dark skin on the Lamanites when they disobey him, but they become white and delightsome. When they obey him. What? Second Nephi 5, 20 through 25, if you want to look it up. Interesting. Uh, one of the justifications uh, that some Latter-day Saints use for uh, the discriminatory policies, because they were big time into slavery. In fact, we're going to see it was the Mormons' behavior with slavery that Christians rose up with the abolitionist movement and said, knock it off, this is enough. Right? And the same thing in the 60s. It was the Mormons still doing it that... The 60s movement got... Anyway, so we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but anyway, so they say that uh, the reason why they have such a discriminatory policy and teaching against specifically black people is because uh, they believe this goes back to their, quote, pre-existent spirits that were cursed. Now, let me just read uh, just a very quick synopsis of this false teaching, obviously. Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets scattered throughout the cosmos are ruled by countless gods who were once humans like us. Stop right there. Man, what a false teaching that is. But we don't have time. We'll get to that later. Uh, they say long ago, on one of these planets, to an unidentified God and one of his goddess wives, that a spirit child named Elohim. That's crazy. It's a ripoff of a Hebrew word, right? Anyway, it's supposed to be the name of the spirit child. Uh, and it was conceived. The spirit child, supposedly Elohim, was later born to human parents who gave him a physical body. And because he was so good at Mormon teachings, he got to become his own God which they still teach today. That's why they're out there doing the bike tour, the priesthood, because they believe they're going to become their own gods. Their wives are going to be goddesses forever populating planets with spirit babies. We'll get into that eventually. Uh, Mormons believe that this Elohim is their heavenly father, and he lives with his many goddess wives on, the planet, on a planet near a mysterious star called Kolob. Dude could tell a story, man. <laughs> he could write science fiction books like nobody's been called Golob. That sounds like some line Star Trek, right? And you see Spock making up. Excuse me, Captain. We're right here at this. Golob. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, here, the supposed God of Mormonism and his wives, through endless celestial sex, produce millions of spirit children. <gasps> Got all these kids. What are you going to do? Well, here it is. To decide their destiny, the head of the Mormon gods called a great... Heavenly council meeting. Both Elohim's eldest sons were there. Who were his sons? Quote, Lucifer and his brother Jesus. What? You gotta be kidding me. Uh, Lucifer became the devil and his followers became the demons. Now sent to this world, they would forever be denied bodies of flesh and bone. But listen, remember, because there was a big disagreement and then, the, then Lucifer, supposedly Jesus' brother, uh, Jesus came out on the top side, and, and Lucifer oh, got it wrong, and so he became the devil, and then third of the people went with him, and then, but, but did you know there was people who just kind of stood in the middle? I'm not picking sides. I'm not going to go with Lucifer. I'm not going to go with Jesus. You know? Again, this is all story, but listen to this. Those people who remain neutral in this battle were cursed to be born with black skin. This is the Mormon explanation for the Negro race. Very, very racist at the core. You're a liar, you're in the cult, you're a money-grubbing. You, man, can you whoop up stories? And man, you are racists, right? And it was rampant during this time, right? After Smith's death, you say, well, that was just Joseph Smith, unfortunately. 
1844, Brigham Young became the president of the main body that splits off and goes to, to Utah. Again, there was another group, the Reformed folks. We'll talk about that later. Uh, he goes out to Utah. Young promoted discriminatory views about black people, stating, quote, any man having one drop of seed of Cain, i.e. a black person, in him could not hold the priesthood. He considered black people as inferior. Uh, Brigham Young also taught that blacks were to be, quote, the servants of servants because a curse was placed on them by their forefathers. Uh, he also stated that it was a, quote, law under heaven, and it was not the Mormon church's place to change God's law. That's Brigham Young. Now, the first known slaves to enter the Utah Territory came from who? How did slavery end up in Utah? Guess who brought them? The Mormons brought them. And one of the first slaves there was a guy named Greenflake. You can check this out. Interesting story. He was actually considered to be the property of the Mormon church. And I quote, Greenflake was paid to the Mormon church as tithing. They accepted a man. It's just crazy. There's several stories of uh, slaves escaping, trying to get out of there, obviously, in Utah. Uh, in large groups, some of them got out of there through the Underground Railroad. Uh, after all the other pioneers uh, also arrived in Utah, Mormons, they continued to buy and sell slaves as property. Many of the prominent church members, they were slave owners, including William Hooper, Abraham Smoot, Charles Rich. The church members would, listen, use slaves as their tithing, both lending out their slaves to work for the church, as well as, again, like Greenflake, giving them the slaves to the church. Uh, Brigham Young and another guy, Heber Kimball, used slave labor uh, that had been donated as tithing, and the church opposed slaves who wanted to escape their masters. Well, hey, you skipped over that part when you came a-knocking. How come? Again, when you understand the root, you understand what they're doing, and you understand what they're trying to cover up to today. Because that sure does tarnish your image that you're trying to portray. Great, moral, wonderful, no, mm -mm. Utah was, in fact, the only western state or territory that had slaves in 1850. These guys didn't want to give them up, right? Uh, Continuing on, Joseph Smith also opposed interracial marriages. He once indicated that he felt that black people should be, quote, confined by strict law to their own species. In Nauvoo, it was against the law. This was in, when he was in Independence. It was against the law for black men to marry whites, and during a sermon criticizing the federal government, Brigham Young said, quote, If the white man who belongs to the chosen seed mixes his blood with the seed of Cain, the penalty under law of God is death on the spot. Quote, This will always be so. They gave the death penalty, uh, the Mormon church, for that. He then prophesied that if the church were ever to say that it was okay to intermarry with blacks, that the Mormon church would go on to destruction and the priesthood would be taken away. But man, that was a good thing. It was just, unfortunately, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. We're getting closer. 1939. Listen to this. So-called apostle, Mormon apostle, George F. Richards, in a talk at the general uh, conference, similarly talked, quote, The Negro is an unfortunate man. He's been given a black skin, but that is uh, as nothing compared uh, with that greater handicap that he is not permitted to receive the priesthood or the ordinances of the temple necessary to prepare men and women to enter into and enjoy fullness of glory in the celestial kingdom. 1939. 1954. Still going on. Another so-called apostle, Mark Peterson, said in 1954, I think I have read enough to give you an idea of what the Negro is after. He's not just seeking opportunity to sit down in a cafe where white people eat. He isn't trying to ride on the same streetcar. It appears that the Negro seeks absorption with the white race. He will not be satisfied until he achieves it by intermarriage. This is his object uh, uh, objective, and we must face it. 1954. 1958, another so-called Mormon church apostle, Bruce McConkie, published in, quote, Mormon Doctrine, in which he stated, quote, the whole Negro race have been cursed with a black skin. This is 1958. Black skin, the mark of Cain, so they can be identified as a caste apart, basically servants, lower portion, a people with whom other descendants of Adam should not intermarry. Listen, the quote remained through all editions of the church's Deseret book until 2010. Only recently did they take that one out. 
But they took it out, so they didn't still do it, though. Listen to this. In the 1950s, the San Francisco Mission Office took legal action to prevent black families from moving into the Mormon church neighborhood. 1965, a black man living in Salt Lake City, Daly Oliver, described how, as a boy, he was excluded from the LDS-led Boy Scout troop. Parents, watch out for that because that's one of their tools to suck you in and your kids in because they're big on that. They've hijacked that. So have the homosexuals, unfortunately, with the Boy Scout troops, and they're using it as a platform. But anyway, so this guy, he said that uh, uh, he was excluded and that because they didn't want blacks in their building, 1965. The LDS Church, Mark Apostle, again, Mark Peterson, uh, describes a black family that tried to join the LDS Church. Quote, some white church members went to the branch president and said that either the black family must leave or they would all leave. Quote, the branch president ruled that the black family could not come to the Mormon church meetings. It was until 1978 that the Mormon church had a policy that uh, they reversed, supposedly, okay, that most uh, uh, black men of African descent, uh, they said now can be ordained into their priesthood, okay? Uh, but uh, you wonder if that's really what they did and still really uphold today. Because they'll allow, we'll get to that, we'll get some statistics because there are uh, uh, black African folks that are unfortunately involved in Mormonism, Okay. But listen to what the racist mentality still carries on. Uh, after Joseph Smith's death, Brigham Young taught again that black suffrage went against church doctrine, that God had taken away the rights for blacks to hold office, public office, and that God would curse whites who married blacks. And again, these were the kinds of views that riled up the abolitionists, the Christians, during the Civil War years and things of that nature and prior. It was they looked at how racist the Mormons were and said, you've got to be kidding me. The Mormons didn't help. The Mormons were part of the problem. Number two, before the civil rights movement, the Mormon church policy went largely unnoticed and unchallenged. They were still doing it. Okay? But it was the civil rights movement that began to infiltrate and began to expose, even as recently in the 60s and 70s, what they were doing, and that's finally in 78. They said, okay, all right, all right. We'll reverse it. But again, listen to their practices even after that uh, decision, okay, uh, of what they, they do. Listen to this. Uh, in the, still in the 70s, hospitals with connections to the LDS Church, including LDS Hospital, Primary Children's, and Cottonwood Hospitals in Salt Lake City, uh, McKay D. Hospital in Ogden, and Utah Valley Hospital in Provo, kept, quote, separate the blood donated by blacks and whites even after the 1978 decision. Okay, oh, by the way, this is such common knowledge, you can get it yourself on Wikipedia. So this is not some Joe Schmo, whatever. I'm not saying Wikipedia is this ultimate source. But I'm just saying it's such common knowledge that even they got it. right? But they kept separate the blood from blacks and whites, and uh, even after the 1978 decision, and patients, Mormon patients who expressed concern about receiving blood from black donors were given assurance from the hospital authorities that that would not happen. This is after the ruling. Absolutely crazy racist to the core. Now, we got to close, but I got to give you a little teaser of where we're going to head maybe the next time or the time after that. I don't know. This guy. I mean, this greed, dishonesty, witchcraft, racism. This, who's the father of all lies? Satan, right? So... These aren't angels from God. These are demons, if they even showed up, right? But when you understand specifically the dark ties this guy had, no wonder it spits out even to this day so many satanic lies and satanic behaviors, such as greed and lying and the occult and racism. Let me give you a little teaser. Joseph Smith was a sorcerer, but we're going to get into this deep. But as we close, let me just whet your appetite where we're heading. He was a sorcerer, and he practiced crystal ball gazing or fortune telling. He was convicted of this practice. It's on court record in New York courts. Smith's practice of magic and necromancy led him annually to do it during a witchcraft holy day to the hill of Camorra in New York, specifically to seek encounters with a spirit being called Moroni. 
During this time, he would attempt to conjure up the spirit from the dead. And there is strong evidence in 1824 that Joseph Smith actually had to dig up the body of his dead brother Alvin and bring part of that body with him to the hill Cumorah in order to gain access to the gold plates of which were supposedly written this Book of Mormon. It's also known uh, within his community that Joseph Smith used blood sacrifices in his magic rituals to find hidden treasure. Uh, C.R. Stafford writes, Joe Smith, the prophet, told my uncle, William Stafford, he wanted a fat black sheep. He said he wanted to cut its throat and make it walk in a circle three times around. That's witchcraft. After his death, Smith was found to be carrying a magic talisman on his person, sacred to Jupiter, designed to bring him wealth, power, and success, and seducing women. Well, yeah, you had a womanizing problem too, Joe. Uh, very sexually immoral, adultery, and things like that. Wow, we haven't got to that one yet, have we? Right? And I close. But this is a, from a former Satanist. It's like, man, he went from the frying pan to the fire. This guy was a former Satanist high priest, and then he left that, and he became a Mormon high priest. But now he's a Christian, Right? But listen to what he says when he went from Satanism to Mormonism, and I'll close. And he's, he's, he's uh, outside the Los Angeles Mormon temple. And he says this, Behind me is the Los Angeles temple, the Mormon church, and inside are many devout Mormons who are fulfilling what they consider to be godly, noble obligations of their faith and to their God. What they don't realize, though, is that the rituals and the ceremonies that they are involved in are straight out of the occult. How do I know? Because I was a Mormon who went to the temple I went to the temple many times, but more importantly, I was also, prior to that, a high priest of Satan. Before I joined the Mormon church, I had 12 years of experience in witchcraft and Satanism, and when I went to the temple, I was astounded at the high level of similarity, the handshakes and the hand grips involved, the secret tokens of the so-called Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood are, in fact, right out of, quote, witchcraft and Satanism. He said the concept of putting on as a part of your priesthood robes, an apron, which God rejected in the Garden of Eden, Lucifer himself in the temple says, this apron is a symbol of my power and priesthood. That's what they wear in, in the priesthood. We'll see that also with their secret underwear, etc., etc. That's also uh, what Satanism does. This apron is a symbol of my power and priesthood. So he said, when I went to the Mormon temple as a former Satanist, I was ultimately very satisfied by it because I thought this was, in fact, a profound satanic initiation ceremony. So he's going like, hey, this makes sense. I just came out with this stuff. It's that similar. He says, all throughout the temple grounds here in Salt Lake City, you will find all sorts of cult symbols. The symbols are generally associated with witchcraft and Satanism. They are predominantly on the temples, but they're on such buildings as the assembly halls. You can even find them in the visitor center. I mean, the place, he says, listen, is virtually a Disneyland of occult symbols, and yet there is absolutely no Christian symbol anywhere. How come you never see a cross? Ooh, maybe it's because you don't really serve Jesus. Oh, we have it in your name. The church of Jesus. No, you're not. You're not the church of Jesus Christ. You came from a guy, unfortunately, who could really whoop up a story. <laughs> and who was, in his own history, was a, a money-grubbing, greedy guy, a liar involved in the occult, racist, sexually immoral, adulterous man. Wow. They don't tell you that when they come to the door, do they? And when you say, oh, no, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus Christ, what do they say? We do, too. No, you don't. Remember how I started? you got to get behind the veneer. They will pepper us with our own Christianese, our own words, but it doesn't mean the same thing. It is so far off base, it's not even funny. Lord will, next time we're going to get into the supposed history. Did Joseph Smith really die as a martyr? They try to quote Isaiah, say, he was like a sheep led to the slaughter. No, he wasn't. Okay. Also, if we can get that far, we're going to get into his supposed uh, translation techniques and how accurate all that stuff was, as well as his ties into the uh, cult. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, 
Are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, 
it, it's a proven fact. They did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.